Hey everyone, just before you get started with this episode, I'm not going to be in there, but I just wanted to make a quick announcement. Our Black Friday offer is live and you can go on authorityhacker.com slash Black Friday to check it out. It is a 25% off on our most advanced link building course. So if you are interested in building more links to your site, I suggest you go check it out, authorityhacker.com slash Black Friday. Have a good episode. Running one website is hard, but imagine running 40. Managing a portfolio of websites comes with all sorts of challenges, and it really forces you to do things in a more efficient way. My guest today is Dom Wells, founder of Unfolio, a portfolio company who buy, sell, and manage a portfolio of websites, as well as work with investors to raise capital. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of how Dom manages to grow his website portfolio without losing focus or driving himself crazy. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Dom Wells, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we've known each other for about three years now, and you're also quite active in the Authority Hacker Pro Facebook group as well. So many, I think, of our subscribers will be familiar with you and, and what you're doing. But for those who don't know you or haven't heard of your new company, tell us who you are, what you do, and, and why people should listen to this show. Yeah, so as you mentioned, my name's Dom Wells. I'm the founder of Onfolio.co which I've been running for about a year now. And prior to founding Onfolio, I was running human proof designs for about five years and i actually started my own kind of authority site journey back in 2012 when i just like many of your listeners i just somehow found my way to the concept of affiliate marketing and building niche websites and ranking them and making money from them and then scaling them and rinsing and repeating and and all of that stuff and then I guess a unique skill set I have is that I kind of went down the services path fairly early on and I spent a few years scaling human proof designs and we, we provided a lot of content for uh, our customers and we did done for you website building. And I actually spent a long time learning how to build up a team and how to do all of this affiliate site stuff at scale. And then kind of, yeah, earlier in this year, I parted ways with Human Proof Designs. That company's still going strong. Presumably, it's going to go stronger than ever. And I've been focusing on, on Folio, where we kind of do a similar thing. But instead of doing services, we're more, we're partnering up with people who want to buy established money-making websites from some of the bigger brokers like uh, Empire Flippers or FE or you know some of the places where you can get really quality sites and we're helping those people to run their websites after they uh, after they buy them so, yeah so i think the, the human proof designs hpd part is really interesting to me because it was very impressive the scale you reached with that i think i heard you you mentioned at least a couple of years back it was it was hitting seven figures doing kind of content link building i think you did uh, keyword research for people as well as well as obviously the the, the site design um so building processes and and scale to that extent is is very very impressive so i think we can get we probably dig into that a little bit today to learn kind of how you achieve some of those things but i first want to talk about the the sale of that business like how long had you been working on it 
before you decided, okay, I want to, I want to do something else here? Well, I think there's the first time I thought I want to do something else. And then there's the time I actually decided I definitely wanted to do something else because anyone who's been in business for a while may, may, you know, have darker days where they think I want to move on, but they don't actually do it. It's not a decision you can make overnight. But when I actually decided I wanted to move on, it was when I, I finally kind of had something I would move on to, something that I thought, this is a better idea. It's something I can do better and somewhere I can give more value. And I wouldn't be able to do a justice to both businesses running them both. So that kind of happened probably late last year, maybe uh, probably about a year ago, actually. So like November 2018. I feel like there might be some kind of similarities between Gail and I's story and, and, and your journey here, to, to a certain extent, at least. I mean, we kind of started this agency and we did a few kind of productized services, or at least tried to. And we kind of fell into it, though. It was our first proper business that made like a full-time income. And we just kind of kept going because that's what entrepreneurs do. That's what people with this kind of mindset do. They, they keep trying to grow, grow it. And we didn't really question whether this was the right business model for us. You know, we, we were working with clients. We saw other people, we saw other people's sites we were working on grow and, and thrive. And we were just kind of like still trucking away, kind of thinking to ourselves, maybe there's a different business model. Is there any similarities there between our story and yours, you think? Yeah, I think quite a lot, actually. And yeah, like certainly in terms of falling into it, I never really wanted to build a business that had a team. I'm quite, I, I don't know if I'm introverted or extroverted, to be honest, but I'm quite shy. So I didn't, I didn't like the idea of having to manage people or go on Skype calls with people. And obviously, that's changed now, because here I am on a podcast talking about all of these things. But, but back when I first set out, it, it certainly wasn't my dream to build a, a, a large team. I really was just trying to find ways to make money online. And I saw an opportunity in the market. And it kind of just it worked out. And it's quite funny, actually, because I remember, oh, I don't know, maybe 2015, you guys first published your article, like how these people make money online or how much they earn or something like that. I think you've iterated the article a few times. So I'm no longer in it because I stopped sharing income reports. But I was in it once upon a time. And I think Gail wrote something like service businesses are hard to scale because as you get more customers, you have to be busy serving those customers, and then you can't make sales. And the key to kind of pushing through with a service business is to hire a team to help you fulfill the services. I kind of remember seeing that and thinking, huh, that's a good point. Maybe I should start scaling up a team. So it was really sort of a response to my the environment I found myself in. And did you find yourself kind of stopping and taking stock of where you were and then looking at other different business models that you could potentially go on to next and then evaluating them all kind of equally from your new position with all your experience in that? Or did Onfolio just kind of crop up naturally or how did it kind of originate? I think it's a bit of both. I think in the entrepreneurial sphere, there's a lot of talk about like the pursuit of recurring revenue or, or like a digital product's better or a service is better or affiliate commission's better or is drop shipping better. 
And maybe that will, there's no real answer to those questions. So there was definitely a lot of flirting with different business models, perhaps still within the human proof designs brand. But, you know, we had a, a course that we made monthly and then we changed it to one time and then we changed it back to monthly. And then we had lots of other different services that we played around with different payment options. And with Onfolio, it was more, I had actually had this idea in 2014 and I thought, you know, there's a lot of people who maybe look at websites for sale on Empire Flippers and they think, wow, what a good return on investment I can get. But I've got no idea how to run a website. And I was the other way around. I was like, I know how to run a website, but I can't afford anything on Empire Flippers. So maybe we can team up. And then back in 2014, I was just like some random dude in Taiwan who had no track record and no real experience. So I put it on the back burner, completely forgot about it. And then last year, I surveyed the Human Proof Designs audience, and there were a few people in the audience who mentioned they had the budget to buy established sites, but they didn't know where. So surprisingly enough, some of them hadn't even heard of Empire Flippers. And so I just started having a few conversations with people thinking, you know, maybe there's something here, maybe I can offer some higher level value. And it kind of aligned more with what I was interested in as well, because I'd spent the, the year building up to that being a lot more aggressive in buying sites myself rather than just building them. I was kind of over the building model. And I just thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. This, I think I can give a lot of value here. And I wasn't sure immediately what whether we would do a service like we're doing now or whether we would do a course or, or exactly what we would do. But just by having conversations with various people, I, I validated that there was a demand and the actual kind of way that Onfolio exists right now has evolved quite quickly to the point where I haven't really even updated the homepage, haven't really completed any of the, some of the like sort of sales landing pages because people just email us telling us what they want and we just take it from there. Do you think that's been largely due to the relationships you've built up in your many years in, in the industry that the people kind of trust you now and are, are coming to you directly without a, without an updated website as it were? Yeah, I think a significant amount of that is because of that. And that's kind of why, like, it was funny. I had this idea in 2014 and uh, decided I, I couldn't do it because I, I didn't have a, a reputation or any, uh, well, I didn't think I could even execute either. I didn't have the experience. But when I remembered this, maybe in, I don't know, January of this year, I was kind of thinking, huh, I had this idea before, but all of the negatives are maybe not true anymore. Like, I, I do have a, a reputation and experience and, and all of that and I think yeah it's kind of one of those things where people say you have to spend 10 years to get overnight success so it's like yeah that's a really good quote I like that we'll come back to this in a second the, the early days I just want to finish up with HPD for a sec so once you decided I want to sell this business or I want to exit what was the journey for you from that point up into the point where you did that I was in a bit of a conundrum because I kind of felt like I wanted to move on to something new, but I also kind of knew that that thing was kind of related to human proof designs. And I also knew that I wanted to make sure human proof designs stayed in a good, in good stead. You know, I, I didn't want it to fail after I left. I, all of the original team members are still there. I wanted to make sure they all, I wasn't like Sia and, you know, the business crashed and burned. So I ended up speaking to a broker who um, was basically like, well, you know, if you launch on Folio first, it's already out there. And 
any potential buyer would come in and know that that was the case and you guys can kind of discuss almost having a, a kind of partnership where Onfolio still sends people to Human Proof Designs to this day and they send various people our way and I realized I could kind of help HPD survive without me while also leveraging it somewhat so that's kind of how I did it and I, I started Onfolio at the same time as I started sort of leaving HPD there wasn't a whole lot I needed to do with HPD itself because I had always thought one day I may sell it so some things that often stop service business from being sellable is that they're a bit owner centric and I haven't I haven't touched a human proof design site for about three years like in terms of building one I got someone to replace me on the HPD podcast I started signing all emails as we instead of I and writing our blog posts as we instead of I. So there was nothing that needed to be done in, in terms of that. It really was a situation where someone else could just walk in with fresh ideas and, and take over the business. So then it was just a case of like doing all the stuff that happens when you set up business, like uh, verifying financials and having calls with buyers and having more calls with buyers and, and due diligence and meeting the team and, and everything that goes along with that. Did you use a broker for this sale of your HPD? I did, yeah. And did you find that the process of selling a service business was any easier or any more difficult than selling a website would be? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> it was significantly harder, yeah. Why was that? There's just more moving parts. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it was harder as such. I think it was more sophisticated a deal like you, you it's not just like hey here's the 300 dollars i spent last year on content that's my expenses verified it was okay here's the team members here's the ones that are going to stay on here's what everybody does here's how many hours these people run here's all of our sops here's the breakdown of revenue which is recurring and here's like these services and and just so many more moving parts and a lot more expenses as well, like, you know, things like G Suite and just so many tools that you need to make sure you account for. And yeah, and, and then the PayPal account, you know, that alone like requires a lot of like combing through with a, a comb to make sure that it's, you know, that there's not muddied waters and so, and so on. One of the most challenging parts, I think, when we sold our agency was to try and transition the relationships we had with uh, certain clients to the the new owner. Did you have to go through much of, of that kind of process? Not really, because HPD is quite productized mm -hmm. and most people have a relationship with the brand or with someone like Brad, who is the COO. He's the run running the ship and he still is running HPD like, you know, to this day. So I didn't have to maintain any relationships because they were all fairly, the relationships were with the team. And I'm still kind of around. I'm in the HPD Facebook group still. I'm offering advice. Um, and, you know, fortunately, the buyer of the business is a great guy as well. So people have really taken to him. So I think that <laughs> that's a huge bonus. Tell me a little bit about how you achieved the, the scale of those kind of productized services. So take something like link building or, or content to be able to output the amount that you guys were, were doing is, is no kind of easy feat. Aside from sort of recruiting excellent team members, what did you do from a systems or processes perspective to achieve that? Well, the team members is a large part of it. Brad definitely was a huge asset when he joined HPD. 
and we both read the book Traction by Gino Wickman. The, there's another Traction, which is about sales. But um, yeah, those two things definitely changed the life of the business. Before Brad came on, we found it difficult to create too many services. People would be like, hey, can you do content? And we'd be like, uh, kind of. Uh, can you do link building? Like, no, we don't have the bandwidth. So what we did essentially was when Brad came on, we just went through the production line and eliminated bottlenecks like step by step. And once we had eliminated one bottleneck, that actually created another bottleneck. So for example, someone buys like a, a done for you website at HPD, uh, the first thing we have to do is get the the keywords are normally already researched. So we get the writers to create the keywords to create the articles around the keywords. And then when the writers are done, we have to get editors to proofread and, and improve them. And then when that's done, we have to hand it over to the WordPress team who assemble the website and format everything. And then when that's done, uh, it's like, okay, we've built the site, let's do some quality control. And then when that's done, we have to transfer everything over to the, the buyer. How do you manage that process internally though? Do you use a certain tools for it? Is it all kind of each part of the process is a Google Doc SOP or, or what's the setup there? Yeah, it's it's actually nothing nothing phenomenal, just Trello and Google Docs, Google Sheets. Yeah, lots of SOPs in Google Docs, lots of screencasts, you know, showing people how to do it. I think because we do it in kind of departments, so there's like the guys that just do the keyword research and the, the writers that just do the writers, it's actually fairly easy to train. And, and if someone quits or gets fired and someone else comes in, they've just got to learn like their one specific or two specific roles rather than they've got to learn the entire process. I think that's a, a large part of it as well. You mentioned, was it Brad as one of, your, one of the team members at HPD? What was his position? COO. So basically operations. How did you go about recruiting those kind of higher level team members that could kind of take responsibility for, for certain areas of your business? Where did you find them and how did you approach the position? Many of them within operations were actually promoted internally. Brad was different because he was an HPD customer and he was looking to quit his job so he could work from home because he's got like I think at the time he had four children, but he's got six now. So he wanted to be a yeah, yeah. Obviously, operations are his strong point, but um, he, he wanted to be around because they they homeschool all of their children, and so he wanted to be around to lend like an extra hand at like meal times and stuff. So he he reached out to me and he was like, "Look, I have this experience with operations and with business." He didn't necessarily know the intricacies of what we did or like niche. Like, you know, maybe he wasn't the world's best SEO or the world's best keyword researcher, but he was good with systems. And yeah, he, he reached out and he was like, look, I can see you guys are growing and doing good things. Are you hiring? And here's where I might be able to help. And I was like, I wasn't hiring. I, I know I needed help. And you've just basically told me you can help with these areas. So let's let's have a conversation. So he was a bit of an exception because he found me. But I think the important lesson for anyone else who's trying to find that type of person is to recognize, like, I think what a lot of us are guilty of are like getting maybe niche marketers, like an apprentices and being like, hey, I want to get a mini me and train them up rather than I want to get someone who's got the skills I don't have and then just teach them keyword research. It's a, it's a lot easier to teach keyword research than it is like systems and organization. So that, that's the takeaway there. Something which I 
took away from a, a mastermind I was at uh, last year is that entrepreneurs typically they're they're kind of the jack of all trades and they're trying they're doing 20 different roles within their their business certainly in the in the earlier days and often what happens is you you try to as you said hire someone like yourself a, a mini me to take over you know the operations or the seo or some other kind of marketing aspect of it but really those roles are several roles and if you break them down further then you can often find an easier easier time to to find those those specific specific people which can actually handle it certainly in our experience whenever we've tried to hire like for a big role like that we've i think been guilty of looking for someone that can do a bit of everything plus has the operations plus has the seo experience and and that's kind of where we've fallen down but uh, it's good to hear you've you've had some success with that i want to move on now to talk about your new company so on folio what was the initial business model there? How, how did you think you were going to make money from that? And now that you've been running it for, for some time, like what is your bread and butter? Where does your revenue come from? How do you actually make money from that business? I thought actually what was going to be more popular was operating websites for people. So basically, like, I had a few people that had large numbers of sites reach out to me and be like, hey, can you... I've got too many sites. Can you run some of them? Or I've got a site that I don't know how to grow. Like maybe I've hit a plateau at 5K a month. I want to start a new site. I don't know how to grow this one, like that kind of thing. And we would say, okay, yeah, we'll grow it. Similar to what like Matt Diggerty does with LeadSpring in a slightly different way because I think we're more like operation focused and he's he's very good in operations, but he's also very good with like growth and that kind of thing. And yeah, so the idea was people would partner up with us and we would sort of take it from there. And then I also had the idea of people who don't even know, don't even have a site, but they've got like 50K or 100K and they want to, you know, they want to get returns that are better than real estate, but they don't want to buy a site and it tanks. But I honestly thought the partnership, the first of those two services would be the more popular. And it was for about two months. And then more and more people just started hearing about the other service and started getting in touch. And that's really taken off. And and to be fair, we can give a lot more value there as well. Because like take, you know, yourself, for example, if you guys had some sites and you were like, hey, Dom, can you run them for us? It's like, sure, I can. But, you know, you guys can do just as good a job because you already have the skill set, you know, if not better. Whereas if someone's like, hey, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, but I just want to get some solid returns, then I can give immense value there so that's really been the service that i've sort of started doubling down on and it's been the one that we've got a lot of traction on so someone has a lot of money say or a a reasonable sum of money uh, and they want to get high returns they're interested in in this model what do you actually do for them do you purchase a site in their behalf and run it or do you kind of mix and match with other investors how does the model work a little bit of both. So the, the main one we do is we, I wouldn't say we purchase a site on their behalf because it's their money and we don't, you know, we're not like receiving their money and then buying a site. It's more, we'll help them find a site. We'll do due diligence on that site. We'll speak to the seller uh, and they can join the call if they want. Some of them, some of them want to ask questions. Some of them just like, yeah, just, you know, you do all the work. And we'll basically decide, is this a good purchase or is this not a good purchase? And then, we relay all of that to the investor and they'll say, okay, sounds good. Like, let's do it. 
some of the time and other times we pass but anyway so we buy the site that happens and then um we then just start managing the site for them we make sure that uh they get set up with a hosting account and like their amazon affiliate links get changed over and, and all of that so like the migration process unless we're buying off empire flippers because they do that they do that for you and then we come up with a growth plan for the site and we pretty much just execute that growth plan and just make sure that we're running the site and um the investors are just receiving their money and giving us a management fee and a percent of the upside. Buying a, a website can be a bit of a minefield if you don't know what you're doing. What are some of the considerations that you typically take? What are some of the red flags you might observe when, when looking at some deals? There's quite a few, um, but some of the obvious ones You'll see this a lot more at the lower price point, but um, websites that get too much of their traffic to one post or too much of their income comes from one post because if that if that article loses its rankings, which is you know not uncommon, particularly in a website that only has one good ranking, then you know that website's going to lose like a significant amount of its revenue. So that's something that we try and avoid. Like it would have to be these extenuating circumstances for us to go ahead and by a significant percent i mean you know like i'd love to see where the number one post only gets 20 percent of the traffic but in reality it can often be higher but if if like the number one post got say 60 percent of traffic then you have to worry like what's going to happen if that post loses its ranking and it can just fall from position one to position three and that's a significant drop as well so that's a big thing we look at we also look at stability of the traffic like how long's the site been around has it been growing has it been dipping it's very easy these days to spot a site that's been hit by one of the big google updates of late like march 12th or august 1st the year before so those are those are not always red flags but they're definitely especially they can be a red flag if um if an update's just happened like you know, let's say there's a site that it makes 6K, it makes 6K, then the next month it makes 6K, and then there's a Google update and it makes 2K, and the seller's like, yeah, it makes an average of 4K a month. And it's like, well, no, it doesn't, it makes 2K. You know, it did make 6, now it makes 2, it does not average 4. So you need to you need to be aware of that. And whereas if the website made 6 last year, and then it got hit by an update, and it's made 2 for the last 6 months, and you're buying it based on that too, then that's not a terrible... That's not as much of a flag because you know that like you're buying it based on the, the the real average. So those are some like there's there's a lot more things I could go into, but those are some of the obvious ones to look for first. Do you find that sellers are on the whole generally quite honest with their assessment of things, or is there a bit of exaggeration typically goes on? I mostly work with brokers, so I tend to only deal with sellers who are pretty decent. Sometimes there's accidental exaggeration, like. Um, a classic one that I see all the time is, you know, maybe someone has five websites and they like have Thrive themes on it and Thrive themes cost, say, $200 a year. And so they just say the expense for Thrive themes on this website is $40 because they've, you know, they've spread it among five sites. And you're like, right, but if I buy this site, can I get Thrive for $40? Or they spread their hosting among the number of sites. So sometimes you have to look in their, their declared earnings and be like, come on, this is not accurate. Like you, your hosting does not cost 70 cents a month. But I don't think that's dishonesty. I think that's just like logically, that's how you think about it. You think, well, it's $10 a month divided by seven sites. So yeah, there's some of that that goes on. 
I think if you're on a different place, like some of the not dodgier marketplaces, but some of the less well vetted marketplaces, you see stuff that's a little bit more ludicrous. Do you have any channels where you're getting kind of proprietary deal flow or people are coming to you saying, hey, do you want to to buy my site or do you just go through brokers? No, I, I get that. I get an increasing number of that. Uh, I'll probably get that after <laughs> after this podcast. But um, I definitely have found quite a few people coming to me. And um, surprisingly, some of the sites are pretty good as well. So it's not always sites. That... Why do you think that is? Why would someone come to, to someone like you versus go to a, a, a broker where hundreds of people can can potentially buy their site from them? There's probably a lot of individual motivations as well, but the biggest one is you know that you avoid the fifteen percent broker fee as the seller. Fair enough. That sounds pretty convincing. <laughs> what do you actually do with the majority of sites that you're you're taking on? Are you primarily trying to increase revenue, flip them on, or are you kind of buying to hold? What's your business model there? It depends actually a little bit on the individual investor. Like we have some guys who just want to have the cash flow for monthly, um, just for monthly cash flow. Some of them just want ROI. Of course, all of them we're trying to grow the website. I do find that I'm preaching a lot recently that growth isn't the number one reason to buy a website. Like if you can buy a website and you know that it's going to maintain its revenues for the next three years versus a website that has a lot of upside, but maybe also has a you know a potential to, to crash as well. I would take the, the first example over the second, but uh, that's just because the ROI is so high. Whereas of course I still want to grow every single website I buy, but like that's, I'm not, I'm not someone who's looking to try and make three X in six months and then exit the website. So you mentioned before that you can take a management fee plus share some of the upside. How do you ensure that you get that upside or how do you realize that is, is it when it's eventually sold or do you split the profits or how do you kind of manage all that side of things? Well, it's both. So like a monthly payout, if the website is at the point where we've qualified for profit share, then we'll, when we send our invoice for our management fee, we'll also send the invoice for the profit share and the same when we sell. In terms of like, do we control the money and pay it out to the investors? No, it's the other way around. So, you know, we're still relying on them actually paying their bills, but we are running their site for them. So they'd be kind of shooting themselves in the foot if they didn't pay. Great. I remember so we sold a site around 10 or 11 months ago, I think it was now. And at the point we decided to sell the site, we knew there were some things we could do to, to maximize revenue for those for a few months and kind of get a higher valuation. Now, it's kind of a bit dumb thinking about it. Like, why did we have to wait till that point to try and maximize revenue? As a business, shouldn't we always be trying to, to maximize revenue? And I think we were perhaps a little bit lazy when there's no accountability going on there. Do you find that as someone who's working with investors, who's kind of like looking over at the finances, I presume you do some kind of monthly report or something, do you find yourself kind of more under more pressure to, uh, to be accountable for growth in that sense? It can be a tough thing to decide. Um, and you, know, you said maximize revenue, but there's also maximizing profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I figured. And, and that's where it's tough. And in fact, uh, you earlier this year or maybe last year, Matt Diggity was on here with Gail and he said, you know, it's hard when you're not selling your sites. Like if you just, you can constantly reinvest in your sites and like maybe a site's making 10K a month and you just throw 8K back into the site every month and 
and it's growing, but you're never making any money. So it's like we, when we're working with investors, we want to make sure they're getting their, their ROI. But at the same time, we want them to make sure they're growing their ROI as well. So there's a few things we can do. We can kind of just set aside a growth budget beforehand. Like, okay, this site's 50K. Let's just assume it's 55K and we'll put 5K towards growth. And that's okay if you're pretty good at predicting how much you need to spend. But SEO is obviously an evolving thing. You need to determine how much should we put on growth, how much should we put on um, uh, just cash flowing and, and, and so on. And again, it really depends on individuals. It depends on the site as well and how well that site is responding. So one thing we do, and we want to do a lot more of this, like we, we've set it up, the tracking for it all quite recently. We calculate the return on spend of a website and we want to, like, because we manage like close to 40 websites right now. So we can really get some good data and we can see if this website, maybe for every dollar we spend, we get $2 back, let's keep spending, but maybe another website for every dollar we spend, we only get 10 cents back. So then is there anything we can do to change that? Because sometimes it's like, yeah, this website's not really responding, but if we just spend another K and get a few keywords to position one, then suddenly that formula is going to change. And then we ask ourselves, how confident are we in these predictions? Like maybe the sites ranking above us have huge hidden PBN networks, so we don't really know how much we need to spend to beat them. And so the idea is to kind of get this score where you think, well, this site probably is responding really well to further investment. Let's just keep smashing it with money and growing it. And this site, maybe it's better to just hold it and just cash flow it and keep that cash flow to buy a different site with. Like this site maybe is solid and it's very diverse, but there's no point spending any more on it. And this one, maybe we should sell it because the space is getting more competitive. And I think really when you're running a portfolio, it's these kind of decisions that are almost more important than like how good SEO you are and, and various other mm -hmm. things. That's a really interesting point, actually. I know a lot of people who are kind of spending six, seven figures a month on Facebook ads do something very similar. Because the thing with, with Facebook ads is it's very, you can spend an unlimited amount of money, but you, you kind of want to spend while it's making money, while there's a, a return on ad spend or an ROI. But as soon as that turns negative, you, you need to cut it or you need to drop it or you need to, to kind of pause it so that you don't spend all your profit, basically. And I think that's that's essentially what you've done there as well. It's really cool that you have a, a kind of master tracker across um, all those those 40 sites as well. And hitting 40 sites is, is, is pretty impressive as well. Have you found there's any negative side of, of partnering with investors? I mean, do you, do you, I presume you have better investors and, and worse investors on, on your CL without naming names or, or anything like that. But if anyone else is thinking, oh, I could do the same, I could, I know some people with some money, I could get some investment. Are there any things you need to watch out for? Do you screen your investors in any way? Yeah, there's, this is a, an ongoing process as we deal with more and more investors, we're evolving what makes an ideal investor and what makes a less than ideal investor. Fortunately, most people who come to us already are fairly sophisticated in terms of their, their understanding of the space. Like we get a lot of people who come to us from, say, Rhodium Weekend, Facebook group and like that, that community. And so th those guys are like decent people to work with because they already understand everything. Whereas someone who sometimes I have people who message me and are like, I want to buy this website on Flipper. It's a dropshipping site. It's only 20x multiple. Why should I get that and not this really good quality site? that's like 30x and I'm like well because that's a garbage website and this is 
and you can just see that they just don't understand the space as much. Uh, so generally, that's the thing, like their knowledge of the space. Now, at the end of the day, there's a it probably goes the other way. Like the, if someone becomes a lot more knowledgeable, maybe they're difficult to work with because they're, there's the prospects of them trying to micromanage us or just um, not needing us as much. So there's definitely a sweet spot. I think the most important thing we found is managing expectations, not just in terms of the returns that we can get or the growth, but in terms of the, the reporting that we send to people. Because, you know, there's a lot of stuff we do all day long on sites but maybe the person looks at their site and thinks nothing's happening because it's just the way it, it appears. So we make sure we, we tell people in advance, here's what we're going to do this month. And then next month, here's what we did last month. Here's what we're going to do this month. Here's uh, how the traffic's changed. Here's how the revenue's changed. It, even things like October 1st, people message me like, why is my ad thrive revenue down? And you just have to say, well, it's it's cute. It's the beginning of a new quarter. The RPMs are down, but you can see the traffic's actually up. So don't worry. There's a lot of, you know, luckily, most people we work with, and I get on the phone with them before we enter into an agreement together. So I can tell if they're, if they're worth a follow up call or not. Yeah, but it, it's mostly just about expectations and understanding. You also talked about an idea you had for, I think you called it group buys or, or kind of starting a, a fund. Where's that idea at the moment and how does that fit in your plans for the future? The group buy is pretty much ready. I've got lawyers to write everything and the people who are going to sort of JV with us are going to like sign it and send in funds and, and we're going to buy a website and that's going to be fun. A fund is a longer it's a longer horizon, but still fairly quick, like perhaps Q1 or Q2. Uh, we're going to probably start raising the fund Q1 and maybe closing it at the end of Q1 or in Q2. So that would be 2020. What's it going to allow people to do then? Diversify, basically. The risk of websites is real. You know, Whether you work with someone like me or not, my risk is going to be significantly lower. Everything can, can die on the internet or at least can reduce its... Um, profitability so the, the best way to offset that is to diversify and what a group buy allows someone to do is let's say they've got 50k they can either buy one website for 50k or they can put 10k into five websites so that would be five separate group buys if the group buy was something where it's like i'm just getting give, being given money and then i've got discretion on how to spend it and like which websites to buy and everything then it's basically a fund anyway so there's like SEC issues with that. But essentially, yeah, like the, the idea behind a group buy is it's leveraged. So you can get the gains and the ROI without risking all of your money on one website. You mentioned that you're managing around 40 or so websites at the moment, which is awesome. A crazy number. I don't know how you do it. How do you do it? How do you manage to do, make sure everything's on track? How do you do link building for 40 different websites? Well, you know, we just spam the internet like you guys do. But um, <laughs> we just have a lot of good processes. And I'm not just going to give an ambiguous answer like that. But essentially, a lot of the websites, they don't need eight hours a day. And they don't need 10 hours a week. You know, So it's about making sure that you have processes in place. So every website has a plan and has it gets the attention it needs and then you have people who are specialists who just do the work so if you're going to say on-page seo is a good example like let's say we've got 40 sites and all 40 sites we want to 
improve the on-page SEO of say 10 pages on the site, like, you know, do the, the TFIDF stuff and, and all of that, that's actually fairly easy. So you just say, right, okay, you have a guy who or, or a girl whose job is basically just to do that. And you might say to them, okay, Monday, do those 10 pages for site one, Tuesday, do those 10 pages for site two. And then, and then what happens after you do those pages? Nothing. You have to wait one to two weeks to see to see the results. So you just make sure to come back two weeks later, check the results and see, uh, did it go up? Did it go down? What's next? Do we need to link build? Also, there's a really good article that I read in 2017 and I recently reread by Andrew Hansen about, it's called like an evolving SEO strategy. And it, it systematizes how to make sure that you are sort of doing the 80-20 and you're working on the things that will make the most sense and you can use quite low level workers to gather the data for that and then you have like an seo person who can look at it and say right this is the thing we're going to do for this site for the next like month or two weeks so it is a little bit of a, a cluster you know it can be a little bit of a, a mind you know mess with your mind i'm trying not to swear but um yeah well it's definitely a clusterfuck sometimes but fortunately i have experience with that and I'm very comfortable in that environment. So it's one of those things where it's like not many people have succeeded at it. But I think the payoff, if you can succeed at it, is like probably unbelievably high. Is it kind of like at the start of the month you make a plan for each website or do you do it quarterly? If that's the case, how closely do you adhere to your plan and how often do you kind of go off script? This is something we're always evolving. What happens when we first onboard a new site is we make a game plan and it's like short term. What do we think the short term wins are and the short term plans are? What of that are we going to do this month? And then next month we look at the game plan and we're like, okay, we did all these things. What are we going to do next? And, and then maybe the next month we're like, okay, what was the result of all of those things we've done? Do we still think our game plan and our map makes sense? Do we need to adjust? And we've toyed around with every two weeks, one of us looks at each site to see if like the, the map is still the map or whether we need to tweak it. We're really going to be, now that we've got larger, we're going to be having like sites split up into clusters as well. So maybe one person will just focus on five sites and like the on-page SEO specialist will still do on-page for the entire portfolio, but there'll be like, you know, a kind of captain steering, steering the ships and that because the, the split focus is the real crux of the, the issue and why a lot of people struggle can you give me your best example and also your worst example of sites you've bought either through on folio or or personally in terms of what happened after you, you you made the purchase like the the one that grew the most and the one that grew the little you don't have to real reveal the niche or anything i'm just curious about the the kind of the two ends of the spectrum we're here yeah okay let's start with the best one so we can you know we can end on a downer the best one was one where i just bought well basically like that's the real key it was a niche i was fairly familiar with I'd, I'd actually done some keyword research for it in the past and was thinking about starting a site in that niche and i saw it for sale because i was familiar with the niche i saw that the seller had left a bit of money on the table like they, they just had say amazon affiliate links and i knew that the product they were selling the most had a private program on share sale, which happened to be quite profitable. I knew that they, you know, some basic stuff like their comparison tables weren't very good. I knew that they hadn't written a bunch of articles and that, you know, there was the potential to get a lot more traffic. And most importantly, the site was trending up. 
that was a huge one because it's a lot easier to continue a trend than it is to reverse a trend. So like this was a site that I bought in April. It was making about, I think, two and a half K a month, maybe pushing three. And so April now it's um, October. So like six months later, all I've really done is some optimizations and some link building and some just adding of content. And it's probably going to make five and a half K this month. And that's like, so it's more than doubled in six months. And a large part of that was just me being like, this is this site's going a great way. And all I'm going to do is double down. This um, is something yeah. which a lot of people say in real estate that you, you make money when you buy. So finding a good deal is really going to set you up to make money. Do you find that's the case in with buying websites as well? Oh, absolutely. However, I think a lot of people use that advice wrong in websites. I think people think that means you should buy a site for 25x and sell it for 30, which is a lot of the time. The problem with that is that arbitrage spread isn't really worth your time. And if you're buying a site for 25x, unless you're lucky, it's probably not a very good site. So it, it can be very risky as well. You know, maybe the site's got something fundamentally wrong with it. And if you're, you know, if, if you're an expert, yeah, great, that's probably not a problem. But if you're the average person, you, you should probably buy a site that's more expensive, just because it's it's going to be more quality. So I would say yes, it's true, but it gets misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let's get back to. I think you're just about to give us your worst example as well to finish on a low. <laughs> well, we can have another topic afterwards to bring it back. The positivity sandwich is that they call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So this one, it was actually me actually, yeah, like not listening to my own advice earlier. It was, I bought a site where the site wasn't great. It was making like 3K a month, but it was quite sporadic. It was like some months it did 2K, some months it did four or five. And the seller had run a bunch of email campaigns like in the, in the couple of months building up to it. Like when you do like a Black Friday promo, that kind of thing. And so it had got a lot of sales and I was like, oh, great, it's trending up and the email list is clearly engaged instead of me thinking, oh, the email list has just been burnt out. And it got a lot of traffic so and it got traffic from Pinterest. So I thought, great, it's not Google. I don't have to worry about Google. But it turns out Pinterest is way more fickle. So shortly after I bought it, it got banned by Pinterest for spamming. And it wasn't even spamming. It's just Pinterest has ridiculously stringent ridiculously trigger sensitive penalties and I, I got the traffic back and one of the things I thought was yeah I'm going to add display ads to this site because it gets like 300,000 page views a month but because the traffic quality wasn't great the, the display ads only bring in like a grand a month and I was like yeah it's got a 30,000 person email list so it's gonna I can just spam the list basically with offers but it turns out most of the email list were just like not really engaged and a lot of them were spam traps so like a spam trap is basically a a fake email address that is used to detect people who are spamming their lists even if you're not spamming but the very presence of a spam trap means you haven't done like double opt-ins and stuff and there was a funnel that I thought could be better optimized. So I thought, great, I'm going to improve this email funnel. But it turns out the seller had tried to improve it, which is generally you know, what people do when they have a website. So long story short, it wasn't a bad website, but I bought it because I thought, oh, this has so much money I can take off the table. And when it turned out I couldn't for various reasons, I was left thinking, oh, I should have just bought a different website that was, you know, that was more quality and this is kind of crap. 
the sites it also never really recovered all of its traffic after the pinterest ban so it's making like two grand ish per month but i've put a lot of time into trying to grow it and failing when i should have just stuck with something that i would have would have been more in my wheelhouse i think it's quite hard to look at a site and be like oh this site's got a terrible funnel i can beat it without actually trying Dom, thank you very much for your uh, time today. I really appreciate you coming on. Is there anything that I haven't asked you, which I should have asked you? No, but probably you might want to ask me where people can follow me. That was my next question. (laughs) People can just go to like onfolio.co and we have some opt-in forms there. They can subscribe to our email list. And I share quite a lot of blog posts about kind of like the, the theories and experiences behind running a portfolio. So, you know, not your average like SEO, CRO type posts, but more about like diversification and decision making. So if anyone's interested in that kind of topic, then they should head over there. And if someone wants to partner with you to invest, to, to do something like that, they should contact you directly. Yeah, we have contact forms on the site about the various services. And if they just fill it out, then that will go into my inbox. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Dom, for coming on. And thank you to everyone for listening today. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. So we'll see you then. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dom Wells and Mark. I just wanted to jump back in quickly to remind you we have that special Black Friday offer going on. If you are interested in building more links, our best, most advanced link building course is discounted right now for a really short period of time. To check it out, go on authorityhacker.com slash Black Friday. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll see you next week.